Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2014 Detroit Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Let's turn over to the book of Romans chapter 1. And tonight I just want to share with you real simply about the power of the gospel. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, talking about the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, talking about in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Did you know when Paul wrote this, the word gospel was a radical term. Today, it's become a religious cliche. And people just use the word gospel today to refer to anything to do with Christianity, anything with Christian religion. And they will talk about the gospel. There's people that will stand up and say, you're going to hell, repent or else, turn or burn. That's the gospel. That's not the gospel. When Paul used this word gospel, it was a radical term. The word literally means good news. That is the technical definition. But I actually studied and I read a commentary where they said that out of all of the Greek literature that exists today, and I mean there's thousands, tens of thousands of pieces of Greek literature, that the word gospel, the Greek word for gospel, was only used twice outside of the Bible. It was a word that existed, but it was an obscure word. It was so radical that nobody used it because it didn't only mean good news, it meant Here's my little definition of it. It meant nearly too good to be true news. It was over the top. It was like, this is too good to be true news. And so Paul was saying, I'm not afraid or I'm not ashamed to tell you the nearly too good to be true news about Jesus. And did you know to the religious system of Paul's day, that was a radical statement because it wasn't good news. The religious system, the Old Testament law was all a set of rules, do's and don'ts. And if you didn't do this, then the wrath of God came upon you. And what a lot of people fail to realize is nobody has ever done everything that the law tells you to do. James chapter two, verse 10 says, if you keep the whole law and offend in one point, you become guilty of everything. Today, there are millions of people that call themselves Christians, but they are trying to keep all of the rules and regulations thinking that if I'll do these things, then God will love me. Then God will answer my prayer. Then I'll be blessed. And they are relating God's blessings to them to their performance. I'm telling you, that is not good news because I don't care how well you perform, you're gonna blow it. I've lived better than most of you. And I don't say that out of arrogance. I'm just saying I was raised, I was born again when I was eight years old. I committed my life to the Lord the first time that God nailed me over sin. Not the first time I'd ever sinned, but the first time that I knew it was not just my parents that I disobeyed. I intentionally went against what God told me to do. And at eight years old, I repented and I got born again. And the next day in school, I was made fun of at eight years old for, because I'd changed and I was different. They could tell a different difference in me. And so I was changed. And you know, uh, next week I turned 65 
and I have yet to ever smoke a cigarette, ever say a word of profanity. I have never taken a drink of liquor. I've never tasted a, a beer, had any wine. I've never tasted coffee. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, coffee? You got scripture to stand on for coffee. It says in Mark chapter 16, you can drink any deadly thing and it shall not harm you, amen. I'm just saying, you know what? I've lived holier than most of you have ever thought about. And yet, if you keep the whole law and yet offend at one point, you become guilty of all. You know, it's like if there was a huge glass in between me and you up here, it wouldn't matter if you shot a little BB through it or if you drove a truck through it. If you break this glass, the whole glass has to be replaced. And the law was made up of tens of thousands of commands, but if you kept all but one of them, you became guilty of all. Even though I've never done all of these things that you know we classify as terrible sins, I'm guilty of murder, lying, adultery, everything else because I have broken the law of God and so have you. And so it, some, sometimes the church, see, they'll say, we're preaching the gospel. You got to live holy. God won't answer the prayers of a sinner. We're going to give an opportunity for people to receive the baptism. And nearly every time I have to explain to people that you don't have to be holy to get the Holy Spirit. If you, had to, if you could get holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. If you got sin in your life, you're the very person that needs the Holy Spirit. But see, religion has come along and said, oh no, God won't fill a dirty vessel. I want you to know God hadn't got any other kind of vessel to fill. When people are preaching that you gotta perform before God will do these things, that is not the gospel. That's not good news. And it's amazing how people think, oh, this is so good. Thank you so much for telling me step one through 10,000, what I must do. That's not good. And I can promise you, this is the reason that there's a lot of people that get excited and start off for a period of time in the church. But I've heard a statistic that over 70% of all spirit-filled Christians today do not attend church. I don't know if that's true, but I can guarantee you it's, uh, there's a lot that don't attend church. And it's because they started out thinking I can do this. But you know what? You can't do it. You can't live holy on your own. You cannot do all of these things. And people get burned out. And after a while, it's not that they doubt that God exists. It's not that they doubt that God can do miracles. They just think I can't ever please him. I'll never live up to this. And they get tired and they quit. And that's what happens, whether you realize it or not, what religion in the United States is preaching today is not the gospel. This says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The reason so many people don't have power in their life is because they haven't heard the true gospel. They're hearing religion. And they're hearing this about, yeah, God's angry at you. God's upset. The reason you're sick is because God is punishing you. God, this is judgment and on and on and on it goes. That is not the gospel. The word gospel means nearly too good to be true news. And religion is not good news. It's bad news about an angry God upset at you and how you can appease an angry God. But what Paul was talking about was that Jesus has already appeased the wrath of God. 
Jesus took all of the wrath of God upon himself. Jesus paid for all of your sins. And you know, I haven't got time tonight to tell you everything I know, but let me just say this. You need to go get materials and study this, but God forgave you of all of your sins, past, present, and even future sins. The sins you hadn't even committed have already been forgiven. And I know that there's some people here saying, well, man, that's wrong. You're just encouraging people to go live in sin. No, I hadn't got time to teach on it. I, you know, I hope this upsets you enough that you go get some materials and study it out. But I'm telling you, it's just the opposite. Once you understand how much Jesus paid and stuff, you will serve God more accidentally than you ever did on purpose before. But it will be in response to his grace, not in order to earn and obtain his grace. And it'll totally change your life. And this is what Paul was preaching, and it was radical. And the Jews of his day hated it. Did you know that the religious people of our day hate the true gospel? You know where the gospel is being spoken against more than any place else on the earth is in the average religious church. They are contradicting the gospel. They are putting people under bondage and telling you that God is upset with you and God's angry. And that is not the gospel. It was a radical term. Today, it's a cliche and people think that they're preaching the gospel, but it's not good news. You know, it is true that there is a God and there is a heaven and there is a hell. And that people, if they don't accept Jesus, will go to hell. Not because of their sins, because their sins were paid for. They go to hell for rejecting Jesus, the payment for their sins. That's another radical truth that I know some of you just choked on that one, but I've got teaching out there entitled The Positive Ministry of the Holy Spirit that will explain that and help you to understand that. But I believe that people do go to hell if they don't accept Jesus as the forgiveness of their sins. But you know what? That's not good news to tell a person, you're going to hell, repent or else, turn or burn. It's the truth, but it's not good news. And it's certainly not nearly too good to be true news. The word gospel is literally referring to the grace of God. It's how you receive all that Jesus provided. The church primarily has been saying, oh yeah, Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus can do anything, but then they tie what he can do to your performance. And only if you live up to a certain standard will what Jesus did apply to you. That's not the gospel. Let me show you some scriptures. I'm going to come back to Romans 1, maybe, if I can get back over there. But look in Galatians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is talking about this same thing. And he said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Notice in verse six, he says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He's using the word grace and gospel interchangeably. If you aren't preaching the grace of Christ, then you aren't preaching the gospel. And most people today are not preaching the grace of Christ. They're preaching performance. Grace could be defined in a lot of different ways, but a simple definition, and this is simplistic, but 
um, I'm not going to preach on just that all night long, but the grace of God is just the unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor of God. And if there's anything you have to do to qualify, then it's not grace. The only thing that grace needs, it says in Romans chapter five, verse two, that you have access by faith into this grace wherein you stand. The only requirement is that you have to believe and humble yourself and quit trusting in your own goodness and you have to receive everything from God by grace. That's the only requirement is just that you put faith in what he's done instead of faith in what you've done. Religion today is teaching people to trust in what they have done. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, that's not so. It is so. I minister to a lot of people. I've had thousands and thousands and thousands of people come in a prayer line and I've prayed for them. And I've had people say things to me about like, why hadn't God healed me? I'm fasting, I'm praying, I go to church, I pay my tithes, I read the word, I do everything I know to do. Why hadn't God healed me? A person who says that just told me why God hadn't healed you because you didn't refer to what Jesus did for you. You referred to what you did for him. And this is the mindset of nearly everybody in this country today is we've been taught that you gotta do these things in order for God to move in your life. That's putting faith in yourself and in your actions instead of faith in Jesus. When you got born again, how much had you been fasting and praying and studying the word? Man, some of you were whoremongers, you were dope addicts, you were anything and everything, and yet you came right in the midst of your sin and put faith in what Jesus did and got born again. And then Colossians chapter two, verse six says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. The same way you receive salvation is how you should continue to walk with the Lord. You got saved by putting faith in Jesus and what he did, not what you did. That's the way that you should continue to walk with the Lord. But sadly, a lot of people will get saved the initial experience by coming and singing just as I am without one plea and you don't put any faith in yourself. The fact, you know, if you were, if you'd just come from committing adultery and if somebody says, I saw you, you committed adultery. That wouldn't keep a person from getting saved if they really understood the gospel. They'd just say, that's the reason I need Jesus. Amen. Jesus have mercy on me and you'd call out for help but get saved and go to church. And they'll tell you, if you don't study your Bible every day, God won't bless you. If you don't pay your tithes, if you don't come to church, if you don't do this, well, you were out here committing adultery and lying and stealing and you got the greatest miracle that ever was, which was salvation. But now if you don't read your daily Bible readings every day, God's liable to let you die of cancer. Something's wrong with this picture. You aren't operating in the same thing. The reason it was so easy to get saved is because you believed the gospel, that it was by what Jesus did for you. But the reason it's so hard to receive healing and prosperity and joy and deliverance is because basically we've been taught that you've got to earn it. You got to do these things and only when you do everything right will God move in your life. That is not the gospel. He's using the word gospel and grace interchangeably. This same thing is done over in Acts chapter 20. Let me just turn over and read this quickly. This is the first minister's conference recorded in the Bible. And in Acts chapter 20, in verse 24, he, he was talking about how he was persecuted, uh, beaten with rods, put in prison, 
stoned to death, all of these kind of things. And in verse 24, he says, but none of those things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel is talking about the grace of God. The thing that makes Christianity so awesome is that it's not about your goodness. It's not about you doing good things. You know, the thing that really distinguishes Christianity from every other religion of the world, all of the other religions believe in God or some supreme being. But then there is just a whole list of things that you have to do to earn his favor, to appease him, to guarantee yourself into some kind of a positive afterlife. You may have to shave your head and wear a saffron robe and shake a cup and beg or deny yourself or have a jihad and kill people and go to heaven with 75 virgins or whatever. They have all of these things. But you know, the thing that sets true Christianity, not religious Christianity, but true Christianity apart from every other religion is that we have a savior. We are the only religion, if you want to use that term, that has a savior. Every other religion puts the burden of salvation on your back. It's all based on what you do. And they may have different rules, but it's the same principle that you've got to do these things in order to be accepted with God. But true Christianity, you couldn't save yourself. All of our righteousness is like filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6, I believe it is. And we couldn't ever do anything to save ourselves. So God became a man and Jesus lived holy for you Jesus died and took the wrath of God upon himself. Luke chapter 12, verse 32, that all of the judgment and the wrath of God came upon Jesus, all of it, not part of it, but all of it. There isn't any wrath left in God. He's paid for your sins. Your sins have been paid for. And it's not your penance. It's not your things. Jesus bore the wrath of God and suffered the punishment that you and I deserved. And God now extends right standing with him, not based on your performance, not based on you living up to some certain standard, but just will you accept Jesus? If you accept Jesus, then all of your sins, past, present, and even the future sins have been paid for. Your sin is wiped out. And now holiness in a Christian's life comes out of gratitude for what God has already done, not in order to get God to love you and to do something. And if the gospel was really preached and it was understood exactly what Jesus has done, I guarantee you people would be so thankful for what Jesus had done in their life that they would serve him more accidentally out of grace than they ever served him on purpose out of fear. Man, it says right here that he's testifying the gospel of the grace of God. And so if you aren't talking about the grace of God, if you're preaching to people that God's angry, God's going to get you unless you do this, unless you live holy, unless you pay your tithes, unless you do these things, God won't bless you. God won't move in your life. That's not the gospel. And let me go back to Romans chapter one, where we started. It's the gospel that is the power of God the dunamis, the miraculous working power of God unto salvation. Salvation is another word that has been misused and misapplied so often that most people don't know 
what it's talking about. But the word salvation, the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O, it, it was used over 300 times and applied to everything that Jesus did. The word sozo was applied to healing. Over in James chapter five, it says, if any sick, let him call for the elders of the church, let them anoint him with oil and pray over him and the prayer of faith will save, sozo, the sick. That's not talking about forgive the sins of the sick. It's obvious by the context. The point is you'll get well. And healing is a part of salvation. Yes, right. yes. And prosperity is a part of salvation. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might be made rich. You know, last night I was using 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10, and I had a man stand up and yell at me and say, that's not talking about money, it's talking about the word. And uh, he got a little upset. But if you take 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, every verse in those two chapters is talking about money. If you read the first eight verses, of 2 Corinthians chapter eight, it's all talking about money. You read chapter, verse 10 on through the end of that chapter and then chapter nine, it's all talking about money. And so for people to take verse nine out of context and say that Jesus became poor emotionally, spiritually, so that you could have joy and peace and all of those things, those, those are true statements, but that verse is talking about money. Jesus became poor financially so that you might be made rich financially. Financial blessing is a part of our salvation. And I think it's a terrible disservice the way that the church basically has said salvation is a term that just refers to the initial born again experience. When you first come to the Lord and get your sins forgiven. But then they look at healing as being optional. They look at prosperity as being optional. They look at deliverance as being optional. And yet the word deliverance was translated salvation. In the Old Testament, it said salvation. In the New Testament, when it quoted that verse, it, it said um, deliverance. And so deliverance, freedom from oppression, depression, and all of these things is a part of our salvation. The word salvation as used in Romans 1:16, is just an all-inclusive word for everything that Jesus purchased and accomplished for us. And it's not broken into parts that right now forgiveness of sins is all we get. But when we get to heaven, then we'll have healing, then we'll have joy, then we'll have peace. No, right now, Jesus died to produce your physical healing. It says in Galatians chapter one, verse four, I was over there just a minute ago, but Galatians one, four, it says that he gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Not just the one to come, not just in uh, the future, but he gave himself to deliver us from this present evil world. That's salvation. Salvation includes joy and peace and happiness and health and prosperity and all of these things. Jesus said, pray our father which art in heaven, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are supposed to be living heaven here on this earth. I am not preaching that we don't have any problems, but I'm preaching that we can overcome those problems. Jesus has provided it. And the power that is, that causes this heaven to come to pass on earth is the gospel. If you're sick today, you don't understand the gospel because the gospel would release power for your healing if you understood that it was already done. 
But I have so many people that come and they say, would you please pray that God will heal me? He's already healed you. He's already done it. Well, I'm not healed. Yes, you are. You got the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living on the inside of you. It's already done. And some people, well, that's crazy. I've got a doctor's report to prove that I'm not healed. Well, I got the word of God to prove that you were healed, amen. And as quickly as you can renew your mind and see that I've already got it on the inside, then it'll start coming through your mind and soul into your body and you will see it manifest on the outside. But God has already done it. And understanding, see that it's already done. If it's by grace, then that means you don't have anything. You don't, God doesn't move in your life because you do it, something worthy of it. There's nothing you can do that'll make God love you more and there's nothing you can do that'll make God love you less. God loves you, period. He just loves you, not because you're lovely, but because he is love. God loves you. And anytime you start tying your own goodness to God, you cheapen the whole thing. You weaken it. The moment you say, oh, I believe God can do anything, but he's got, he's got to have somebody who's holy to flow through. He's got to have somebody who's done all of these things. Then you have just cheapened the power of God. You've weakened it. It's no longer by grace. It's based on your performance. And I'm telling you, you're the weak link in the chain. And this is how Satan has been destroying us. Satan is not accusing God. It says he's the accuser of the brethren. You know, this is a Friday night. And here, this isn't the nod to God crowd. I mean, the Sunday morning nod to God crowd, they aren't here. You're fanatics. Yes, I am. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You're an absolute fanatic to be out here on a Friday night listening to a hit from Texas. You're a fanatic. You know, we were talking, we were talking yesterday in the car and three of us in the car have seen five people raised from the dead. Isn't that awesome? There was only eight people recorded as being raised from the dead. Now there was one instance where it says many rose from the dead when Jesus was resurrected and came out and it didn't give the number, but people that it specifically talks about, there was eight people raised from the dead in 4,000 years of biblical history. And yet sitting in the car yesterday with Larry and me and my COO, there was uh, five people that we've seen raised from the dead. That's awesome. When I talk about that, did you know most of you believe that? You clap. You're the fanatics, you're the weirdos that believe that God raises the dead. Did you know you don't have a problem with God? You believe God can do anything. And if somebody fell over dead here tonight, and if I jumped down there and said, I've seen people raised from the dead, I've seen my own son raised from the dead after being dead for five hours in a morgue on a slab with a toe tag on and raised from the dead, no brain damage, no more than he had before, praise God. <laughs> If I was to jump down here and say, I've seen people raised from the dead, I'm gonna pray for them and I believe God's raising them from the dead. Did you know most of you would be right behind me? You'd be, amen, brother, go for it. 
But where I'd lose the majority of you is I say, all right, if you believe it, you come down here and pray for them. And, and you know what? Many of you who would be excited if I was praying for them, all of a sudden now your excitement turns to fear. Your faith turns to dread. What happened? Did you believe that God quit doing miracles? You didn't doubt God. What you doubted was God would do it for you because you're performance-based instead of grace-based. And you think that you see me up here and man, I, I've got on my nice suit and stuff and, and you know what, I'm holy and yeah, God will use me. But you know you better than you know me. If you knew me as well as you know you, you wouldn't have any more faith in my prayers than you got in your prayers. God doesn't use me because I deserve it. He doesn't use you because you deserve it. But see, you, you link God's power to your performance, not to the gospel, not to grace. And that's the weak link. And this is where Satan is accusing you. He's the accuser of the brethren. And he comes and reminds you that, oh, you hadn't done this. You didn't do this. You aren't holy enough. And you don't doubt God. You believe he has the ability. You just doubt that he would use his ability on your behalf because you think it's based on performance. This is what religion is teaching people. And that is not good news because I don't care how good your performance is. You may be like me that you've lived a relatively good life, but yet if you keep the whole law and offend in one point, you become guilty of everything. Who wants to be the best sinner that ever got denied something? All of us have sinned, come short of the glory of God. You cannot approach God on your own goodness. You can't stand before him on your own basis. You know, like that example I was given about all these other religions. If you were to take a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist, and all of these different people and put them side to side with a Christian, and all of a sudden they're standing before God and he says, what makes you worthy? They'd talk about, oh, I kept Ramadan. I fasted, I did this. I prayed five times a day to Mecca. I did this, I, you know, and on and on. And they would point to what they did. And sadly, if you went to many Christians, if they were standing in this lineup and God says, what makes you worthy? They'd say, oh, I went to church. I paid my tithes. Here's my giving record. Here's my perfect attendance buttons that I got. I love my wife. I did this. If you point to anything you did, I don't care if it's good you would go to hell because you've still sinned and come short of the glory of God. You do not deserve anything. The only appropriate answer is if God says, what makes you worthy? It would be Jesus. It's my faith in Jesus. Jesus is my savior. That's my claim to fame, amen. So if you understand this correctly, when the devil comes and begins to start accusing you, instead of trying to say, well, I'm gonna try harder. I'm gonna fast more than I ever have. I'm gonna study the word more than I ever have. I'm gonna do this. The moment you start trying to be good enough to earn something you've just lost. The scripture says you're supposed to agree with your adversary quickly while you're in the way. So when he comes to you and he says, you sorry thing, what makes you think God would use you? Just say, you know what, you're right. I am sorry. Man, I don't deserve it. Praise God, I've got a savior. I think I'll just get it through who Jesus is. Father, in the name of Jesus, and you get healed based on what Jesus has done instead of yourself. But I'm telling you, we have just been taught the wrong thing. And the gospel 
is the power of God unto your healing, unto your prosperity, unto your joy and peace and deliverance. The gospel is what gives you power. It's the gospel, it's the grace of God that gives you power to live for God. All of these rules and regulations point your attention to yourself and they show you your weakness and they are what causes condemnation and guilt. Over in Hebrews chapter uh, 10, verse two, it says we should have no more conscience of sin. No more sin consciousness. And yet most Christians are just dominated by sin consciousness. We come before the Lord. Oh God, I come before you. I'm so unworthy and I just, I don't deserve anything. And oh, and we just talk about our unworthiness. Man, if you feel like a gnat on the back of an elephant, when you come to God, then instead of talking about your smallness, talk about how awesome God is to love somebody like you. Amen. Put the emphasis on God and on what he's done instead of your unworthiness. This is the reason that we aren't having power is because the gospel is the power. If you are having a deficiency in any area of your life, you have a deficiency in understanding the gospel. You know, we just got through with Easter and we had this Easter celebration at our place, our new place in Woodland Park. And it was awesome. I tell you, it was just, I don't know how it can get much better. It was awesome. And we were focused on what Jesus has done. We were talking about, can you imagine what it was like for the disciples when they saw Jesus had conquered death? He suffered all of this. Jesus didn't die on the cross because he was worthy of death because he had done anything wrong. He was sinless. He took my sin and your sin. He paid for it. Can you imagine what those disciples, what it must have been like to see him conquer death and know that, man, it's over. It's over. No longer were they trying to please God and earn something. Jesus loved us. Did you know Jesus loves us, every person in here, more than we could ever comprehend? This hit me. Uh, Daniel was singing a song, and I forgot the wording of it, but it was something about we don't ever understand how much God has done for me. And I just thought, man, if... If somehow or another I could have been God and if I was going to die for people, would I die for them if they never even appreciated what I did? They're still sitting there feeling guilt and shame and they're still feeling like they've got to earn everything. And man, it just seemed like such a waste. You know, most of us wouldn't have done it. And yet God loved us so much that even though we don't even come close to appreciating what he's done for us and we void it constantly, by trying to be worthy enough and putting our faith in ourselves, He still loved us and died for us. And God's love is awesome. And if we could ever get a revelation of that, I promise you the love of God would cause you to live holy. I'm really glad that God called me to preach the gospel. Because you know, If there were people preaching the gospel who had lived a terrible, ungodly life and had violated all of the good things that you're supposed to do, well, then it'd be easy for people to criticize that and say, no wonder you preach the gospel. It just justifies you going out and doing all of this. But you know what? It's hard for you to sit there and say that about me because I've lived a holier life than most of you. 
and yet I have learned that my holiness wasn't good enough and I am preaching the gospel not because it justifies my ungodly lifestyle. I live holier than most people. I spend more time studying the word praying than most of you. Like the apostle Paul said, I speak in tongues more than you all, all of the whole church put together. I speak in tongues more than a bunch of people. But you know what? It, the grace of God has not led me to live in sin. Once I understood how much God loved me, it changed my life. Most of you haven't heard my personal testimony. I won't give you the whole thing, but I was born again when I was eight years old. I began to start seeking God. I have sought God my whole life. There has never been a day in my life that I haven't sought God with my whole heart. I never turned away from Him. I've always been seeking the Lord. But I became a religious Pharisee. I didn't mean to. It just happened. I was told that if you wanted God to bless you, that you had to do all of these things. And so, man, I did everything they told me. I was an introvert, couldn't look at a person in the face. And yet I started uh, visitation programs and went out knocking on doors. When I was 14 years old, I was leading two and three people a week to the Lord. And I was an introvert. It was hard for me, but I forced myself because I wanted to do whatever it took to please the Lord. And I was trying to do the best I could. And I don't know exactly how I got off, but somewhere down the line, I got to relating God's acceptance of me to my performance. And I was performing as well as I could. I remember when I was eight years old, they had a, a Sunday school class and they said, how many of you pray 30 minutes a day? They were trying to teach us on prayer and show how that we don't spend time praying. And so, well, I think they started with like, how many of you pray five minutes a day? And there was a number of us that raised their hand. How many of you pray 10 minutes a day? And they went up and at 30 minutes a day, I still had my hand up and they said, now, you know, you, you shouldn't lie, <laughs> but I guarantee you, I prayed 30 minutes, an hour a day when I was eight years old. I've sought God my whole life and people, and I did it, but I got to trust him in those good things, thinking that this was gonna make God love me. And my dad died when I was 12 years old. I prayed for him for six months for him to be raised up. He was in the hospital and he wasn't raised up. And I figured it was because I didn't pray enough because I didn't seek enough. So I just tried harder. And by the time I was 18, I had become a religious Pharisee, trusting in my own goodness. And it's a long story, but in a Saturday night prayer meeting. This shows you how religious I was because 18 years old, Saturday night, what I did every night, every Saturday night was get together and we'd pray from 10 till 12 at night. That's what I did for fun with all of my friends. <laughs> and we were in this Saturday night prayer meeting and it's a long story, but God just opened up my eyes and in a moment showed me I was a religious hypocrite, that I was trusting in my own goodness and I don't have the words to explain this to you, but I was caught up in the presence of God. And every time you see somebody who really found God, who is in the presence of God, immediately they recognize their unworthiness. You know, compared to other people, you may think you're awesome. But I guarantee you one second in the presence of God and you'll be sitting there saying, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. It'll, it'll change your attitude. Your self-righteousness will go out the window when you stand next to God. And I was in the presence of a holy God and I realized that all of my righteousness was like filthy rags 
And the doctrine that I had at that time, they told me God's the one that killed my dad, that God judged people and all of these things. And I honestly, some of you will think I'm exaggerating, but I honestly expected God to kill me. I thought he was going to kill me. I was in the presence of a holy God and I saw myself, my self-righteousness through his eyes. And I realized that all I deserved was hell. And so I, I figured he was going to kill me. I thought that's what was going to happen. But before I died, I was going to confess every sin I could think of. I was going to say everything. I was going to get as clean as I could get so that if I died, I wouldn't go to hell. I'd go to heaven. And man... I had never prayed over 10 minutes in public in front of other people before, you know, but boy, that night I prayed an hour and a half. I turned myself inside out. And remember, I hadn't done a lot of the outward things that other people had done, but the scripture says, if you've lusted in your heart, you're guilty. If you've hated in your heart, you're guilty of murder. And so I started confessing what I had in my heart, not the things that I'd done. I told every rotten thing I'd ever thought or said in front of the in front of all my friends, in front of the leaders of the church, I ruined any little bit of reputation I ever had. And I just turned myself inside out and confessed all of this stuff waiting on God to kill me. And after an hour and a half, I was just laying there. Just, there was nothing left to say. I, I covered it all. There wasn't, there wasn't anything I could even think of that was, wasn't covered. And instead of the wrath of God coming on me, the love of God just overwhelmed me. And for four and a half months, I was caught up in the presence of God. I was gone somewhere. I never sat down and ate a meal in four and a half months. I'd, you know, snack and grab something. I never slept more than an hour at a time. I couldn't sleep. I was so excited. It changed my life, the love of God. But it also really confused me because I'd been taught that you have to do good in order to be good and to have God love you. And it was the first time in my life that I quit trusting in myself and realized that I wasn't worth spitting on. That's when I experienced the love of God. I couldn't figure out what was going on. And it took me three or four years of turmoil about God. Why did you love me when I didn't deserve it? And it took me a long period of time before I began to start even having a glimpse of it. But you know what it was? It was the gospel. God had to get me rid of myself and of my trusting in myself before I could come to Him. You can't experience the beginning of God until you come to the end of yourself. And that's not talking about you just being hurt and your heart broken. It's talking about you have to quit trusting in yourself. You quit, have to quit looking to your own goodness. And it took me a while, but I began to understand that what happened was God revealed the goodness of God to me. He showed me that it had nothing to do with me. I don't deserve anything from God. And now I've, you know, uh, March the 23rd, 1968 is when that experience was. And so I just passed my 46th anniversary of this, of God touching me. And you know what? I don't deserve the goodness of God any more today than I did 46 years ago. All of the good things that God's doing in my life, it's not because of anything that I've done. It's because of what Jesus has done. And actually, I am getting less and less confident of myself and more and more confident of God because of Jesus. 
And sadly, most people, it's the opposite. We come to the Lord and we trust Him because we can't save ourselves just as I am without one plea. But then immediately you start, because you want to please Him, you start trying to do these things and then you get down on yourself. And it's not that you doubt God's ability. You doubt that He'll use His ability because you know you don't deserve it. And you start condemning yourself. And that's what keeps you from receiving the healing, the deliverance, the prosperity, the joy and peace. I'm telling you, that's not the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. All you've got to do is believe and receive or doubt and do without those of you who are trusting in yourself and you are trying to be good enough for God to love you, you are the very thing that's hindering you. Your faith is in yourself. And that's the very thing that Satan is using is to destroy you. You know, I was ministering in Pritchett, Colorado. We saw a man raised from the dead in that church in this little town of 144 people. We started having 100 people come to church. And then... The outlying areas, I had six Bible studies a week. I traveled in circuit because people heard about this and I was ministering to hundreds and hundreds of people and driving. And there was one day that we had so many people coming by my house that wanted prayer and ministry that I didn't have time to study the word myself or pray. The only time I did those things was to minister to other people. And I knew that I couldn't keep giving out without filling myself back up. And so one day I just made a commitment that I was gonna spend the next day fasting and praying and studying the word just for myself all day. And that was what I intended to do. But it, I got woken up early in the morning. Somebody knocked on our door and there was a crisis and somebody wanted me to go pray. So I started praying, but I was praying for other people. I wasn't just building my relationship with God up. And uh, I, at lunch that day, I was gonna fast, but there was a man that I'd been witnessing to that came by and wanted to take me out to eat. And I thought, man, this could be his day to get born again. And I don't want to tell him that I'm not eating today. And so I went out and since I didn't eat breakfast, I was hungry and I ate twice as much <laughs> as lunch as I normally did. So I broke that promise. And the only time I opened the Bible was to pray and minister to somebody else. And so late that afternoon, I was going to a Bible study. My in-laws were in town. So I was going by myself and I was driving 45 miles to this Bible study. And I felt so I felt so ungodly, like, God, I promised you I'd fast and pray and study the word and I didn't do any of them. I broke every one. And you know, the devil quotes scripture to you. I started thinking, man, all liars will have their part in a lake of fire that burns forever. It's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not pay. And I was just, I was crying, going over to this Bible study and saying, oh God, how could you ever use me? How could you use anybody like me that I didn't do a Thing I promised you I'd do. And as I was getting closer, I said, but God, what about the people? Just do it because you love the people. Minister to the people. And I didn't feel any release and I just kept praying. And finally I said, God, just do it because of Jesus. And when I said that, the Lord spoke to me and he said, who did you think I was going to do it because of? <laughs> And you know what? I had fallen back into thinking that God was going to use me because I was usable. That's not true. I'm telling you, God's never had anybody qualified working for him yet. And if you hear somebody talking about all of their qualifications and how they're so holy that God, they got a corner on God and God's going to use them. 
You can just write Ichabod above them. Ichabod's an Old Testament word for the glory has departed. The glory has departed. The moment you get a person start talking about how God is using them because they are so worthy of it. And sadly, this is what most of Christianity is proclaiming is that the reason God answers my prayer is because I'm all holy and everything. You know, if you're close, look here in Romans chapter three. This is the verse that changed Martin Luther's life and caused the Protestant Reformation. In Romans chapter three, and in verse 27, it says, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. And if you took this in context, it's still talking about the gospel and stuff. And the thing that excludes boasting is when you understand grace. You understand that God is the one who, who does all of the good things. And you don't deserve any of it. A person who's sitting there and proclaiming, man, I did this and this and this, and that's why God did that. They don't understand grace. You know, I've seen my son raised from the dead. I mentioned that to you already. And there's some things I did. I spoke and I did some things, but you know what? It was the grace of God. I didn't deserve my son to be raised from the dead. That's been 13 years ago. And I sit there and look at him and my granddaughter who was born the next year. And every time I see them, I, I was sitting there at Easter and looking at them and saying, thank you, Jesus. I don't deserve my son to be alive. I don't deserve to have that granddaughter. It's not my, I didn't do, I cooperated with God. I had said some things and did some things, but it's the grace of God. It wasn't my goodness that deserved it. Anytime you hear somebody proclaiming that man, they can do these things because they've got it all figured out. Just write Ichabod or Michelob over them, whichever, <laughs> same thing. Amen. I got a friend that he, he was preaching on this and he got confused and instead of saying Ichabod, he said Michelob. <laughs> but it's about the same thing. I'm telling you what, God loves us and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't make him love you more. You can't make him love you less. Now there's things that you can do that will make you love him more you need to pray and study the word and you need to do the right things, but that changes your heart towards God. It doesn't change God's heart towards you. Romans 5, 8, God commended his love towards you in that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Much more than, that's verse nine, much more than being now justified by his grace, we shall be saved from wrath through him. If you can accept that God loved you while you were a sinner and gave you the greatest gift that ever was, which is salvation, then how much more now that you have been born again, even though you live a sorry life and you still fail and you aren't what you're supposed to be, he loves you more now than he did before you accepted him. Sadly, many people think it's much less. It's not unusual. Now, if people come to the Lord and go through what's called a honeymoon period where it's just awesome. The grass is greener, the sky is bluer, everything's wonderful and you're just in love with the Lord. But then you go to church <laughs> and they start telling you that God's angry at you. You need to start, to, well, I thought he forgave me. Oh, he did. But now, unless you do this and, and you get back looking at yourself 
and, and only seeing God's acceptance of you when you're worthy of it. And the problem is you're never worthy of it. Your own conscience condemns you. But there shouldn't be this honeymoon period. We ought to be on a perpetual honeymoon. Yes. If you were operating in grace, yes. you would just understand how much God loves you and you would serve him more out of love than you ever served him out of fear. The grace of God, Romans chapter, or excuse me, Titus chapter two, verse 11, the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared unto all men, verse 12, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust to live soberly and righteously in this godly, in this present world. Man, if you understand grace, grace doesn't free you to sin. It frees you from the guilt and penalty of sin. And because of that, you serve God out of love more than you served him out of fear. It causes you to live holy. Amen. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you don't need to be afraid of the gospel. And yet, sadly, there's a lot of people afraid of the gospel. They're afraid that this is going to turn people loose. I've had people say, you're giving people a license to sin. And I tell them, man, they're sinning pretty good without a license. <laughs> this isn't giving you a license to sin. This is actually setting you free from the guilt and the penalty of sin. The love of God will cause you to live holy. Amen. I tell you, I, I just wish that all of you could come and see what's happening in our Bible schools. People that sit under the word and they hear this liberating gospel. It changes lives and it doesn't change them so that they go out and start living ungo ungodly. They live holier than they ever have. You can't give away what you don't have. And most of us haven't received this grace. And so we're harsh, we're mean because that's the way we think God is. If you ever understand and receive this unconditional love of God, it'll cause you to be gracious towards people. This experience that I told you about, I was caught up in the presence of God for four and a half months and God just showed me his love. And because of it, I can love other people. I've got people now that have done some bad things that in the natural, I could justify being angry at them and most people would agree and you're justified, you should do this, but I just don't have it in me because I deserve the wrath of God and yet I know that God gave me mercy and it allows me to turn around and forgive other people who've done bad things to me. The reason some of you have a short fuse and a chip on your shoulder is because you've never received God's love for you. If you receive this, it'd cause you to change in the way you deal with other people. I'm telling you the gospel is the power of God for everything that Jesus produced. If you are lacking in any area, you lack understanding the gospel. You need to get that little book I was advertising about the power of the gospel. The summary of the first eight chapters of the book of Romans. It'd change your life. I'm telling you, God loves you and God wants to set you free. He's already done it. And it's not a matter of trying to do something to get him to do it. He's done it. Now, will you humble yourself and quit trusting in yourself and put faith in what Jesus did? Or are you going to continue to look at yourself and try and clean yourself up and make yourself worthy? You'll never make it. You'll never make it. Again, I've lived holier than most of you and I wasn't good enough. I had to come to the end of myself. You aren't ever going to make it. It's never going to happen. You just need to quit and run up a white flag and just receive it by grace. Amen. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And you know, tonight, I want to give you an opportunity. If there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus personally, man, I've taught the gospel that Jesus paid for your sins. It's not about your goodness. There's a lot of religious people today who think that they're saved because they go to church and because they're trying to be a good person. That's not salvation. Oh, but I believe in God. The Bible says in James 2:19, you believe in God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. But won't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. That's a sarcastic statement. You believe in God, you hadn't done anything that the devil hadn't done. You gotta do more than what the devil's done and you've gotta put faith in a savior. And you know, out of this many people, I know that there's people that you equate God's acceptance of you with your goodness. And again, you might be better than I am, but who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? You don't deserve salvation. And if you, your faith is in yourself, if God said, what makes you worthy? And if you started pointing to your goodness, you'll go straight to hell. There's people in here that that's what you would have said. Your faith is actually in yourself and it's in your own goodness. And you may be a good person. You might be a better person than I am, but you are not worthy of salvation. You need to put faith in a savior. And there's people in here that need to do that tonight. And you know, once you get born again, there's a lot of people that do not understand that there is a separate experience from salvation and that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues. It's not limited to that, but it includes it. And I was born again when I was eight years old, but I was 18 when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what caused me to just be caught up in the presence of God for four and a half months. The Bible says in Romans chapter five that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus to us and Jesus is love. God is love, 1 John chapter four, verse eight. And the Holy Spirit will reveal God's love to you. It will show you these things. Did you know what I'm saying tonight? What I've said tonight, the gospel is not normal. It's not natural. It doesn't make sense to the natural mind. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit has to explain these things to you. It's not natural. It's not intuitive. It's counterintuitive. And the Holy Spirit has to explain the word. The Bible isn't written to your head. It's written to your heart, to your spirit man. And one of the things that happened when I received this baptism of the Holy Spirit is that the word of God came alive to me. I couldn't open the Bible without the word just speaking to me. Man, I fell in love with the word of God and God has transformed my life. You need this. And there's a lot of people who have been presented salvation as forgiveness of sins only. And it's much more than that. It includes all these other things and it includes the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I didn't realize that you were one of those guys because I just sit in a chair. I don't say glory to God. Duh. And I don't wipe my fevered brow and spit and yell. And you just didn't realize I was a tongue talker, but I am. 
I speak in tongues. I spoke in tongues today. Amen. So some of you didn't realize what you were getting into, but you know what? You're at one of these holy roller meetings and they are gonna talk about you, so you might as well get something for it. They're gonna, I mean, it's a shame to come here and get criticized and not get anything for it. You need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Somebody said, well, I don't think you have to speak in tongues. I don't think you do either. You don't have to, you get to. It's a privilege, it's an honor. You can have the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues, but why would you want to? I'm not speaking in tongues right now. I'm speaking in English. I could pray in tongues right now if I want to. But I'm not. And you know what? I'm still filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues, but it's because somebody's messed with you. In the Bible, when they received the Holy Spirit, they spoke with tongues. And speaking in tongues is powerful. It's just like flipping a switch and turning on the power of the Holy Ghost. You build up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost and keep yourself in the love of God. Jude chapter one, verse 20 and 21. I'm telling you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is powerful. Jesus said, you receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Man, if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, it's like charging hell with a water pistol. You need power. You need something and I'm promising you it's as simple as just opening up your heart and receiving. So if you need one or both of those, if you need to be born again or if you've been born again, but if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you don't speak in tongues, I'd like to pray with you and help you to receive. And I know somebody's thinking, well, I believe you can go to heaven without that. I do too. And I can promise you this, you'll get there quicker <laughs> if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost because you get power when you receive the Holy Spirit. But if you would like to receive one or both of those and you'd like me to pray for you, I'd just like to ask you to raise your hand right where you are and I'd like to pray with you and help you to receive. Anybody in here that would like to receive this gift of speaking in tongues. Man, there's a lot of people here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.